WPSL Port St. Lucie. It is time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you, Ray, for the introduction. We appreciate it, and we're certainly glad that all you out there are listening, are here today. We're thankful to be with you, even though it's a little chilly outside for Florida. We get used to this warm weather. My son-in-law's sister in Massachusetts, Gary, yesterday reported they had 18 inches of snow, and it was slowing down a little bit. So there you go. Well, all the pictures on the TV up there were a lot of snow, so... For the, we for, don't have that. But it, for those who like it, that's fine. I, it was in the threes. Anytime you get into the fours, I'm done, I'm done for. I'm ready to be inside. But here we are in threes this morning. We're glad that you're with us. And uh, God's blessed us with a nice, safe, dry, and warm place to be. Hope that same thing is true for you. Well, this show, We Are Just Christians, is a live call-in show. And, of course, in a moment, I'm going to give you the numbers, how you can reach us. And we'd really like your participation you don't have to be afraid or anything like that to call in. We're not going to going to put you on the spot or somehow embarrass you. That's not the point of this show. Uh, we we're trying to have we try to have discussions about spiritual things. You, you don't even have to be a Christian or a religious person to call into the show. In fact, we'd welcome you to call in about whatever's on your mind, and especially if it has to do with some spiritual thing or maybe even a a complaint or something about why you believe what you believe. We'd love to hear you and. We're going to take that seriously and talk about that. We will be giving you an answer as best we can from the Bible for you to evaluate. That's really what the show is about. You can evaluate that, think about what's being said, and so forth. And so that's the premise of the show. We are just Christians, and we're trying to go back to the first century, to the New Testament era, not just to go back because of that's some kind of era that's special because that's when the when jesus came and when he gave his apostles his word and they wrote this down in what we call the bible today and part of the message that they left was that this was a message for all time for all all generations all people not just that particular time and even though they didn't have computers what they said what told us was the truth about man and the world and about god and our situation so we believe in going back and restoring that new testament pattern of things both in the church church itself and in individual lives, our individual Christian lives. So that's what We Are Just Christians is about. We think it can be done. We get away from the denominationalism, from traditions, and from all of that kind of stuff, go back and just follow the Bible. Gary, you're going to say something, I think. Oh, John 12, 48, that's what I was going to say. Jesus says, the word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day, basically talking to all of us in uh, in many ways, but... Yes, he is. We're, we're going to be judged by his word, and that brings up a whole host of other subjects which we'd be glad to talk with you about. So going back but, is going back to his word, basically. Yeah, yes, that's, going back to that time when Christ gave his word, and, and that's represented by the New Testament as we have it today. Now, of course, we believe all of the Bible, and we put the, in the Old Testament in its particular setting and place as, as it applies to the new and so forth. So we're not just dismissing the old by any means at, at all. In fact, I think, Gary, you and I probably take the Old Testament more seriously and up front than a lot of other Christians do. It's strange. I don't say that in bragging way, but from experience. Uh, well, so, But that, that's just part of understanding the, what the Bible says. Right. I take the whole Bible for what it says it is. My understanding is often the Old Testament is not taught very much, and yet there are many things in the Old Testament that we can see what things that are taught in the New Testament look like. He says they were written for our learning and our admonition in Romans 15. Some of those, They're some a pattern of those, and a type for what right. came through Christ. Some of those events that are pictured for us and the people and what they did are examples of New Testament principles right. in the way we behave. Now, now, we're already off the subject. Let me give the numbers. <laughs> we're already way into a subject, but, but to what you hadn't planned on. But let me give the numbers, how to reach the show, We Are Just Christians, if you want to call in. My name is Mike Schmidt, by the way. I'm the preacher and one of the elders for the Church of Christ here on Savona Boulevard in Port St. Lucie. And Gary Jones, the other voice you just heard, is is uh, the partner in the show. He's, he's the other elder here in the church. And so you can reach us by calling WPSL 772 772- Three four zero one five nine zero seven seven two three four zero one five nine zero fifteen ninety 
is the call letters of the station, also the last four digits of the phone number. You can reach us live, and we'll put you at the front of the line. And when you call in, uh, you can ask your question, make your comment. We'd like you to, if you can, talk to us, have a conversation. Some people can't, and that's fine. But uh, we'll we'll give you the last word on whatever it is that we're going to discuss, so you so you know that we're not trying to take advantage of you or you know just use you as kind of clickbait, uh, audio clickbait. We don't we don't do those kinds of things. Um, anyway, that's how you reach the show seven seven two three four zero fifteen ninety. The other way to reach the show, and some people use this each week, is by text message. Gary Jones and I each have a text number. Uh, similar to each other, but you can reach each of us by text during the show or uh, at during the week. You can text us uh, at uh, my text number. Mike's is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. Gary's, as I said, was similar, 772-260-6220. 772-260-6220. And no, we didn't plan that when we no, got that the phones. No, we just got we got these uh, these phones about the same time, time coming out of a well. They were both Nextel phones, I believe, at one time. Yeah, one time. That's how far back they go back into the into the nineties when I got a Nextel phone and Gary got one around the same time. We didn't even know that, but um, in any event, they're very similar, to, very close to each other. But um, it works out well for this. I can barely remember those two numbers, much less, you know, a bunch of other numbers. You can also reach us by email. We get emails from time to time, which we're glad of. You can go a little more in depth if you want to. But we, the email for the show is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. Now, Gary, I'm going to be gone in a couple of weeks. And so we recorded a show this past week just to tell our listeners about this and look forward to it that will air on the 13th of February, the Lord willing. And the show is about the sinner's prayer. We had a text message a week or two ago, a couple weeks ago, about the sinner's prayer. And uh, couldn't get back to that like we wanted to. So Gary and I recorded a whole show on the history of the sinner's prayer, what the Bible says about the sinner's prayer, all that kind of stuff. If you're interested in that, that's, that's coming up in a couple of weeks on the show. So you can look for that. Um, but today... Um, We've got a couple of different subjects we can talk about. If you call in, you can change the subject. In fact, most callers do, and that's fine. We we don't mind that at all. Whatever's on your mind, we will certainly be glad to try to talk about it and uh, hopefully not sound too ignorant when we do. We're going to give you scriptures to look at if we possibly can. One or more references that you can look at and, and, and uh, refer to. And if you want to bring up a scripture, that's great. We'll go turn there with you in the Bible and read that scripture, talk about that, try to try to establish what it means, not by referring back to some catechism or creed or what the Pope or the councils say, but read the scripture in a plain way with his, in its historical context and come to some understanding of what it says that we can apply. That's the way we do things here, and we'd love you to join in that process. If you've got a question about current events, maybe we can talk about that too. I'd be glad to talk about what's on the news with you. In fact, I ran across this story this week, Gary. We can start here. Okay, Probably go ahead. 10 other things, unless you want to talk about something, we've got 10 other things we can talk about. Well, the only, the only thing I would say is when you study the Bible, the Bible is just a little different in the way to study it. One of the premises that Mike and I both look to is, is the Bible is the inspired word of God. It's what he said, what he intended to say to us, and there are no contradictions in it. If you have one passage that you believe says something and you read another passage and it says the opposite, then you either misunderstood one of them or both of them. Right. Whereas when humans write things, they yeah. can, they can, it can yeah. contradict. Right. Now, the, the other thing that I will say that's um, along those lines is, on the other side of that a little bit, is that you, the Bible does not require some specialized knowledge to understand it isn't Holy Spirit Greek or something, and it's not right. some specialized knowledge. The vocabulary used in the Bible sometimes is specific to the context of that book or that topic, but it can be it can be understood by the ordinary person. So there's no spe- you read the Bible like you read any other book. Words mean things. There's it's structured the same way, and you don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit to knock you off a log to understand what it says. 
is it possible for you to misunderstand? Well, of course it is. It's impossible for you to misunderstand anything that you read, and a lot of people do. In fact, here and I, you and I were talking the way over here on another subject, how poor reading comprehension is, it seems, in some places, some people. And apparently it's not getting any better. In the no, schools. I don't know whether it's better. I, <clears throat> I think it seems worse in general than when I was young. But then again, that's because I'm old and a lot of things seem worse than when I was young. Some things are better. But the point is it, it doesn't take some special kind of training to understand the Bible. It takes an, an, a willingness to dig in a little bit. And, uh, it takes a willingness things, to put thought to put into thought it. into what you're hearing and seeing. You know, when I was younger, I heard preachers say or people say that the Bible was written on a sixth grade level. Maybe that was true for sixth grades in, in 1901, but I don't believe the Bible is written on a sixth grade level. It takes it's some parts of it are very simple, straightforward, but most of it's much takes a lot, quite a bit of thought and understanding. It's much different than that. But most people, they have more than a sixth grade education or reading comprehension level. The thing that hinders understanding of the Bible, Gary, is our presuppositions about it and our own desires to do something different than what it says. That's the biggest hindrance people have. They want to yes. do what they want to do. And that includes you and me sitting at this table. That's, we want that's... to do what we want to do, and we therefore we have a hard time understanding. And Jesus says this in John 8, 44. He says the reason they couldn't understand what he was saying is because they wanted to do their own way, their own will, right. and therefore they couldn't hear what he was saying. And that's the, still the biggest problem overall. But we can understand the Bible. It doesn't take some special knowledge. We're not asking you to believe us because we have some special religious training to understand what it says. That's not why we're asking you to listen to us. And that's what God intended. In, in Ephesians, this is one you quote a lot, uh, almost as much as I quote John 12:48. But in Ephesians chapter 3, uh, I'm going to start reading it about verse maybe 2. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Right. That's ex He says he wrote it. He got it from God directly. He wrote it down, and we can understand it when we read it. Because that and was that, the intent in writing it down. Exactly. And that's, that's the premise of this show in a lot of ways, or at least one of the things. That's one of the presuppositions of this show. Uh, John texted in. Sometimes you need tools like a concordance or a Greek lexicon to well, help. Well, they help, but I well, I, I just that goes to reading comprehension. Yeah, it's right. like if I pick up a, a story on a medical advancement, and they I may use words that I I need to get out a lexicon. Understand? Well, what word? What does that word mean? It doesn't mean I can't understand it. It means I might have to go look up some specialized knowledge. And of course, that's true. Concordances help because they link different parts of the Bible together. And you can see similar passages. Of course, the truth is, Gary, all this chapter and verse system that the Bible is known for, and the Bible, we, ref we reference everything. We're going to give you a book, chapter, and a verse for the things that we say to you. It's nowhere we're, in the original no, text. No, it's not in the text. That was, that was laid on. Uh, it's an overlay that people have put on it over the centuries, been here for centuries. And all that's for is to give you a reference point to go back and find that same passage again and then coordinate that with some other passage. So it, it once again, that's to help with reading comprehension, to understand the words there. It isn't some specialized knowledge that only a few people with white collars turned backwards can understand, okay, or, uh, or somebody that goes and gets a master of divinity degree. In fact, sometimes a master's of divinity degree prevents you from understanding the plain text. Yes. How do I know that? Because I've read them. I know what they say, <laughs> and they're, they're, they simply make it. You look, in order to... I don't know how to say that. But, you know, some people have called me cynical, Gary. I just can't understand that. But, but uh, in order, if you want to get a master's a thesis, a master's uh, degree, you have to write a thesis or a doctoral degree. You have to write a dissertation. In order to even begin to write a dissertation or a thesis, you have to be doing some quote original research and have to have an original topic, which means there's this pressure on students now, not the learned so much, but the students to come up with something brand new that nobody's ever said before. And so in order to do that, you have to go way out on left field half the time to get that, 
or you have to make the, the knowledge so specialized, so detailed on one little thing that it becomes almost useless. This is the nature of academia. Until you now, okay, that has a purpose, it serves a function, but in order to, but you have to understand, just because somebody publishes a thesis or has a master's degree or a doctoral degree, it, it, sometimes all it means is their knowledge is so pinpointed that they don't have any understanding of the subject. I think some pe some people's knowledge may be a mile wide and a half an inch deep because they don't have any understanding of anything. Or some people's is a mile deep and a half an inch wide. They can't ever venture beyond their master's thesis and understanding of anything about the Bible. Well, it requires a broad knowledge in the long run. Now, there was a guy I knew at work, and I asked him, uh, we were studying co the combustion process in turbine engines, and he had been working that for some something like 20 something years when I when I was assigned to work with him and do some studies and as more I worked with him I realized that he he was tremendously knowledgeable more than anything that I had ever read about the subject and I said well why don't you have a PhD in this and he looked at me and he said who would give me the exam mm -hmm. <laughs> right who's Who's, who's gonna, qualified to examine no, me? And he's because his knowledge is so specialized, he's the only one that knows anything about it. Right. Uh, John texted in, uh, the same Greek word can be translated into, into two different English words in the same chapter. And that's true because English words are the same way. It isn't some special problem that the Bible has. English words are the same way, depending on the slight nuances. And we, we grow up understanding the nuances in words. I wish I could... I can think of ten examples usually now. I can't think of any at the moment. But well, you uh, spell you spell the metal lead the same way you spell the word the verb lead. Well, yes, so, that's, so that's you a, don't. That's the that, kind that's of a thing. different. That's shown by the context. Right. I'm talking about the difference between um, uh, in, in 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 word in a word that means something one way uh, in one. Uh, I'm, I'll think of it in a second. I got a good example just a moment ago, and then I thought. Forgot it. It says it's a good thing we got rid of scrolls. Well, that's why we got rid of scrolls historically, because they have some useful purpose. But it was very difficult to unroll the scroll and go back and find something else. Whereas what they call a codex in Bible terminology or in Bible scholar scholarly terminology, what we call the pages in a book or pagination in books is called a codex. And you can just flip from one to the other. Now, that has disadvantages, too. Ironically enough, Gary, we've gone back to the scroll system when we went back to the Internet. Right. We went back to a system of scrolls. You, you actually scroll through the documents. Yeah, exactly. As you go but now, of course, it. we have a function they didn't have, and that's a search function and, and, a, and a mark annot annotations we can make. So it may, we have a kind of a combination, but still it's a scrolling system. But it happened for that reason. Um, and I'd like to say one thing about that. We are so blessed with the technology that we have to study the Bible today that we can access, like he talks about, we can access concordances, we can access dictionaries, we can access all this information, even, you know, basically commentaries that people have written, and we can do it electronically based on the words we're looking at or the passage we're right. looking at. There is no excuse for us today to not understand or be able to read the Bible and understand it the way it was intended. Yeah, except for our own hearts. Except for our own hearts. Right, in the long run. Now, you should take a word like thin, okay? Or you take a word emaciated. Now, those words, ha in certain contexts, they have a very similar meaning, don't they? And yet, they have a different emotional context or meaning to them. Yep. If, if I say someone is a little bit dull, and I say that they're stupid... They can mean the same or slow. If I say someone's a little bit slow or I call them dull in English, we know that there there are nuances of meaning to those different words. Uh, but if you didn't speak English, that's why some translations you get. You look at something on Amazon, and you can tell where this where it's made because you can see the way that they use English to describe it. <laughs> and, and well, for example, they'll have in, they'll have in Chinese on, on a website uh, warm tips. It'll say warm tips colon, and it gives you a list of things. What is a warm tip to you in English? I'm thinking of well, maybe a steak tip. I don't know what a warm tip is, but a hot tip, I know what that is. <laughs> right. 
is war. Are, see, so someone who doesn't know English uses the phrase warm tip because maybe in Chinese that's the word they're using. But we know it is a hot tip because it has a different, quite a little bit different meaning. You can figure this stuff out. And so you get this. That's the difference in some translations. You, you and I were talking on the way over here uh, about this very thing, and maybe we didn't realize it. In, in John 1, 12, exactly. John says to them that the, to those who believe, he gives the power or right to become the children of God. And so some versions there in John 1, 12 will say he gave us the authority to become a child of God. Some says he some say he gave us the power to become a child of God. The one that you're using most often says he gave us the right to become right. a child of God. Now those words are all very similar in meaning and they all come from the same Greek word. Different translators have taken exousia. Jesus says all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth. That's the word exousia in Matthew 28:18. Some versions will say, I think the King James says, all power has been given to me in heaven and earth. Uh, is that the same thing as having all rights? Well, it is. We might use different. And, and, of course, the word can mean those three things depending on how it's said. Now, your point about that passage. and we're going my, to be- my point about that passage is it says the power or the right to become yeah, believing by itself doesn't make you a child of God. God. It gives you the right, right to, to become, become a child, a child of, God. of God. That's what yeah. the verse says. That's what the verse but that's says. Not but that's not how people often kind of – we were talking about the fact that they don't interpret it that way. Even people like Billy Graham miss the meaning there. But this word power or authority or right are very similar, and depending on where you find them in the Bible and what context, the translator might use any one of those three – and be correct. It's up to you, though, to, if you want to do a little dig a little deeper to see what the real word is there behind it and then say, well, is that the correct word or not the correct word? And then sometimes you get into the problem where translators are just uh, it's hard to say, put it nicely. They were cowardly. Right. And Jesus says, repent and be baptized. Or he says, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mark 16, 16, Jesus says. The trans, the translate, the re, what Jesus really said in Greek, he that believeth and is immersed, exactly, shall be saved. He used the word baptizo, which means to immerse or to plunge or to bury. Now, you see, immerse, plunge, or bury. We don't immerse a body in the dirt, right? Right. Because of the way the nuance, but we can immerse it in water. We bury it in the dirt, but it's the same. It's the same action of covering it up. And so Jesus used a specific word there, but the translators simply did not want to get into the controversy. The politics of that. Because in King James, England, they were sprinkling and pouring instead of baptizing or dipping. And so they didn't want to get into that religious controversy, so they just transliterated a word and made up a new English word, baptize. It's a brand new English word, baptize. We use it today as if it's some kind of special religious rite. It wasn't and a special religious it, rite. It was a burial. She, and that's why in Romans 6 he talked about us being buried with Christ in baptism, because that's right. the idea, buried yeah. with Christ by immersion. And, and basically the, the definitions that I read in, in one of the Greek lexicons is basically to mer- immerse as in the dying of a piece of cloth. Now, who sprinkles a piece of cloth? You know, you, right. you put the cloth down in the dye, it's completely immersed to get it. Right. You know, it's exactly right. what they say. But then again, it's the heart that does it, like you say. I, I was uh, looking at Jeremiah 17 and 9, and this is what we have to be careful. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. How can you know it? Basically, I think the heart is deceitful, particularly when we want to do what we want to do. And that's one of the things that right. Jeremiah comments on here. He says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. There's another one that, uh, you know, we need to read. Those two verses right there together. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? 
I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So we will be judged according to our deeds. Right. Uh, well, anyway, we're... Uh, we're, we're off the subject. I know. Well, uh, you didn't. I didn't let you get to your subject. I'm, I apologize. Go right ahead. Well, let me let me tackle one more quick problem here about this. Um, hang on a second. I'm looking something up because I know I've got a whole huge um, article I wanted to get at on this. But there is a. Well, th- there's there's this. Some, John texted in that sometimes. There is no word in a language to translate to. I'm sure Eskimos don't have a word for a palm tree. Well, they have a word, I imagine, for that kind of a that kind of a shape of a tree, perhaps. But that that just creates a problem of then of a translator putting it into some kind of word that the people of that particular culture would understand. And this is called a this is called dynamic equivalence. In other words, sometimes that can make a word-for-word translation, although it's not always as simple as it sounds, to go from one language to another to make a word-for-word translation. And then there are some phrases that don't go easily from one language to another because they're based on an idiom of speech or particular peculiarity of speech. And so you have to find something that is equivalent in the other language to convey the message. Now, humans are smart enough to do that. The question is, are they honest enough to do that properly without some kind of doctrinal bias one way or the other? That's always a problem. And that's why you want a translation that was developed by 60, 70, 80 scholars, not one guy, Joseph Smith or or, uh, somebody like that, or the the Jehovah's Witnesses won't even tell you translates their New World translation. They won't ever reveal who translated it at all. It's a secret. Well, I have no, I have zero, less than zero confidence in that. Okay. Because you can't really evaluate what you're hearing. And and therefore they have some very odd translations of the text that suit their doctrinal peculiarities. But uh, it, it isn't an insurmountable problem. Although of course it is one that needs to be addressed. I don't like translations that are all dynamic equivalents where the person just kind of makes up what he thinks that they're trying to, the Bible is trying to say. But there are obviously cases in textual coming from one language or one culture to another where you have to use and translate an idiom. I think, for example, this phrase, the eye, uh, that it's easier for a rich man to go through the eye of a, ca- uh, of a needle than a Easier for I got it all wrong. Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter in the kingdom of heaven. I think that that's probably an example of an idiom of that day and time, a figure of speech, and therefore it it can be translated that way. But sometimes it just requires you understanding what it means. Uh, we have a, I've always used this illustration. One of our prominent members here is from Dominican Dominican Republic. She speaks Spanish and natively but speaks English wonderfully. So I might use the phrase, since I grew up in a Kentucky family, somebody kicked the bucket. Well, so-and-so kicked my my, uh, my pet cat, kicked the bucket. And the first time you use that expression, she has no idea what I'm talking about. What do you mean she kicked right. the bucket? Well, I grew up no, uh, understanding that phrase, you know, instinctively, because I heard it used most of my life. Or she would get the entirely different. She'd get a whole different meaning, but but different meaning, especially if he bought the farm. Right, right. She he bought the farm. You hit the nail on the head. Those kind of things. Every language is filled with those. Are they insurmountable? No, you can understand what they mean, and you can bring that. I said, do they have a phrase like that in Spanish? Yes, and she said it in Spanish. Of course, that didn't help me, but she (laughs) said yes, similar to that. We have idioms like that. So then, if you're going to do a fair translation of that phrase, kick the bucket from English to Spanish, you would put it into an idiom that the people of that particular dialect would understand. It, it's, not, it's not rocket science, as they say. It takes, though, it takes thought and study. You don't have to make up some brand new doctrine of buckets and kicking and buckets, you know, to, to understand what that means. You realize it's an idiom and expression that has a meaning, 
and then you come into the new language that way. All right, we were we said you got me off my topic, and I don't even know what it was. Oh yeah, about this. Uh, yeah, this article you. Oh, uh, that's what, the article I read. This is, uh, and this is a. Yeah, I mean, they call me cynical, but I'm also an alarmist according to these people. But the Finnish, the Finnish government puts Christianity on trial and calls the Bible hate speech. You see, I'm very much, and I think every devout Christian out there listening to us today, Gary, should be against hate speech laws. We should, we should not practice ourselves hateful speech, but we should be against hate speech laws. Sound like a radical thing? I don't think so, because guess what always happens when governments extend their powers in the long run, we all know from reading the Bible that those governments, in the, those worldly governments, are under the control of the evil one. The whole world, John says, lies under the sway of the wicked one in 1 John. And those evil governments will eventually turn those laws against Christianity. And so a hate speech law. And they're in will the process of doing it right well, now. Well, here's what it says two Christian leaders in Finland which is a nice Western democracy, a much more democratic socialist nation, if I can use that, Bernie Sanders kind of place. Yes. Uh, Kamala Harris, uh, uh, who's the other woman there um, um, that used to be an Indian, the fake Indian, Elizabeth Warren kind of person. The two Christian leaders in Finland stood trial in Helsinki on January 24th for publicly stating the Bible's teaching on sex and marriage. Longtime member of parliament, Pavi Raznanen and Lutheran Bishop Johanna Pahola, I can't pronounce these names, Pahola, defended in court their decision to write and publish, respectively, a pamphlet explaining Christian teachings about sex and marriage. This is being called, and the Bible is being quoted extensively in this trial by the prosecutors, hate speech. The Bible's teaching about marriage and sexual relations is hate speech. And uh, that's the term. And they, they go, he began, uh, she, he, first she says that the, the prosecutor said that this trial is not about, about beliefs and the Bible. She then, she then said, she then proceeded to quote Old Testament Bible verses uh, one after the other. Um, they don't think the Bible's ever been read so extensively out loud like that in a prosecution in Finnish <laughs> history, people observing the trial said. Never before has a Finnish court had to decide whether quoting the Bible is a crime. Human rights observers consider this case an important marker for whether Western government's persecution of citizens for their for speech and beliefs increases. It was very surreal, one observer said, uh, a medical doctor and the pastor's wife, who they, they were together, they, they, it's very surreal to see them being grilled by secular prosecutors about details of Christian theology in a secular court. He says, in, in fact, he says, these two Christians had the opportunity to preach the gospel in open court because of the questions they were being asked. And so um, the, the, it really came down to, they said, on more than one occasion, the prosecutor questioned whether we in Finland follow Finnish law or the Bible as if these two things are so inherently contradictory, you have to choose one or the other. And so um, they, they questioned him about his beliefs about the Bible. But in particular, this whole thing, see if I can find it here. I, I tried to make a note of this, but I brought the wrong copy of this. Uh, the pamphlet, the pamphlet is, uh, the pamphlet was about marriage, I think it says here. Um, now we're it. oh yeah, here's the title of the pamphlet, Male and Female God Created. That's the title, that's a finished translation. Right. God created, God created male and female. And so, Christian teachings about the preciousness of every single human life to God and the equality of both and the sinfulness of every human being, God's forgiveness and the fact that there's basically one man made for one woman and human beings are sinners and all of this kind of thing. This is what they're put on trial for. 
this is considered hate speech. To call someone a sinner is hate speech. To say that God made males and females as two separate genders, that's considered hate speech. You see, Gary, this all goes back to feminism and gay rights. All yes. of this hate speech stuff is going to end up going back to feminism and gay rights. And now uh, the latest iteration of that is transgenderism, which, of course, is against feminism. And so, so we're all confused. But this is what this is about. And, and, it, and it, it's going to continue. It's beginning to creep in with pedophilia. It's beginning oh, to yeah, pick yeah, up yeah. a lot of other sexual perversions that are noted in the Bible. And so, yes, because... Um, the the Finnish law being used. To, I'm sorry about this, folks. I'm so, I've got to turn my phone off here. Somebody's trying to call me, and um, I can't get my ringer to go off. And if you need to text us, text my phone number. Yeah, this is not. That's I know the numbers. It's not about. <laughs> it's not about the church. I don't think. If it is, I I'll have to apologize to them. But, but basically, is that the Finnish law being used to prosecute the two Christians is growing numbers of international counterparts, including in many U.S. states and cities. They're often called sexual orientation and gender identity laws. Such laws penalize the natural rights of free speech and religious exercise, which nearly all Western democracies claim to guarantee to their citizens. But these speech crimes, hate crimes, are typically vague which makes them ripe for prosecutorial abuse. So they're subjective, and you can pick and choose. And eventually, when you you get the right prosecutor in office, so we keep electing people to picking prosecutors, and it's a very bad thing that we you know we, we see the effects of this. But um, they're, they're, these people are are being threatened with ten thousand dollars, ten thousand euro fines and jail time. And on and on it goes. And so they're combing through all this man's statement because he says that God made male and female and made them different from one another. And he believes all people are created equal. All these things are considered hate speech. We've been saying this for years, you and I have here, Gary, on this show and other places, that this is what's coming. And yet there are many Christians out there who think that these hate speech laws, hate crimes, are a good thing. They're not a good thing. Uh, I don't believe in hate. I don't believe in using hate speech, and I do not use hate speech. And we're going to. And I think it's a sin when you do when you do hate other people for the wrong reasons, and when you slander and, and evil speaking are condemned in the Bible. But that doesn't mean that I should be prosecuted for that, because who gets to decide what that is? Well, a secular prosecutor controlled by the gay rights crowd or feminists or somebody else will be doing the prosecuting. And those laws are presently being turned against New Testament Christians in the United States. So we need to be voting out the people that are in favor of these hate speech laws and getting rid of those laws and returning a sense of freedom to the United States. All, All this censorship by big tech of people saying that there's only two sexes. Where is this going to, it's going to lead eventually to Christians being persecuted more and more and more in the United States. Go ahead, Gary, I interrupted you. No, basically I was going to say that all of these things are going to be used against Christians as as we, we go on, but these very freedoms, the freedom to speak, the freedom of religion, are what our country was founded upon, and these people are intent upon destroying those founding principles and they will then use whatever means they need to uh, basically destroy Christianity. Uh, Mike, it's it's not just destroying sexual morality or morality, but the Bible is an absolute truth. God has placed in our hands an absolute truth in his word. And these folks, pardon me, I'm, my sinuses are giving me trouble today, but they don't they don't believe that. They want their truth. They don't want an absolute truth. They want something that's variable that they can make whatever they want of it. Well they have they have uh, the, the people behind this have an agenda in mind. But every every week that you and I go on this radio show and every week that I stand up in that pulpit and preach, and if I mention the idea 
that God made man, one man and one woman, and they're supposed to be married to each other for life, and that's the only kind of legitimate marriage that there can be. And if I preach that committing certain kind of certain sexual sins, sexual acts is a sin outside of marriage, I am practicing what many, many progressive people, most progressive people in the United States consider hate speech. Just haven't been prosecuted for it yet. Okay, but it probably falls under their definition of hate speech. So to speak, if I if I want to say and the, these churches are bringing in drag queens and having a drag queen hour. The Lutheran church is bringing in drag queens and having a Lutheran drag queen hour for children in their churches. And if I say that's wrong and despicable, that's hate speech okay? because to them. I, I'm proud. And, and so this is where we are today. And I don't think it can be, probably be stopped completely, but we can at least marshal enough resistance to slow it down a little bit. Well, there was a time when, when something like down. this. There was a time in this country when something like this would have never been considered. It would have been considered completely opposed to the to the founding principles of this nation. Even if you want to be a drag queen, you wouldn't think that you should be going into into churches and public libraries and and trying to induce children to get involved in this. You wouldn't well, think that, would you? you well, even no, I, years no, I, ago. No, I believe they would have considered that. They just knew they couldn't get away. They couldn't with do it, and and some of them would have had enough respect to say, well, yeah, this is for adults, not children. But things have changed, and, and it's not that they're doing it. I'm not even I'm not even talking about the fact that they do these things. I'm talking about the fact that they feel like to to oppose it is hate speech. I don't hate people because I oppose what they do. Or I think that their ideas are wrong and immoral. I do not hate people, but that's the kind of thinking, the lack of critical thinking that we do in this country these days, done by progressives. Oh, now you're that's, using that's, my language. That, that somehow, I know, but that somehow when I oppose what someone does or I uh, say that they are incorrect or immoral for doing it, that I hate them. And I, I, we've got to somehow figure, get people thinking a little more clearly about that, but that's a beautiful tactic. I have to, I have to admire the left because this is a beautiful tactic that they've come up with. Well, anytime you oppose me, you hate me. Well, basically, Mike, what this is, and what we have to realize, and what I hope our listeners realize, this is a method of someone imposing their beliefs on you. Right. Okay. Well, of course you, it is. Yes, they're forcing you to accept it, or else it's a threat. They're, they're threatening you. You're, they're saying you believe like I do, or I will make it so bad for you. you well, in this it. case, the bad they can get is they can use the law against you. Right. And, that, and that's, that's, that's see, it, it really though, Gary, it, it, and I say this, I don't mean to dim, to diminish this, but it's like a it's like a, a seven or eight year old kid when the mom says no, you can't go to the mall by yourself. I hate you. You hate me. I hate you. You know. They they bring up the hate idea because the mom says, no, it's not a good idea for you to go to the mall by yourself. That's called hate. And that's what seven or eight-year-old kids do. They can't they can't stop for a moment and try to think through why their mom doesn't want them to go to the mall. When, in fact, it's probably better for them. The it mom perhaps, loves them rather than anything right, else. But if they could at least come to, come to think through the process, instead, oh, it's just hate. Got to stop it all. It's just hate. Can't do that. And so this is where we are politically now. We have entire political parties and politicians basing their whole career and whole movements and activists basing their whole lives on the idea that when you oppose what they say or do and say that they're wrong, that you hate them. Th this is an extremely dangerous idea, and it's a dangerous idea uh, because it is dangerous to Christianity and the free and the freedom to teach the gospel. That's what's really at stake. That's the big game. We, we believers understand, although I don't believe Satan is looking around every corner, literally, per, he, but he has people who work for him in the sense, whether they know it or not, that they're doing his bidding. And he's always tried to bring about persecution and the, and the destruction of Christianity and good people. Most importantly, good people. He wants to destroy them. And so this is what's going on in society. And he uses deception to do it, basically. This yeah. Is, I believe this is this is Satan. Some of the deceived. people involved in this are evil. Some of them are just, most of them are plainly just plainly deceived, and they're naive. Oh, it's it sounds like such a good idea. I don't think we should hate anybody. So 
I'm sorry, I'm, I'm mocking people. We shouldn't hate anybody, and so we, uh, they, then they say, well, let's make a law about it. Come on now, you're, you're, you're imitating Ben Shapiro. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> yes, you okay, are. Okay, <laughs> sorry. I don't know if I want to do that. But the point is, it, it's just an emotional appeal not based, not grounded in, in rational thinking about these issues. And the idea of using force to get your way is something that every American should be very reluctant to go down that path. Because once you start using force to go to, to get your way in politics, you've changed the very nature of the system that we have. And so like I've said many times on this show, and I might get pushback from some other Christians for saying this, Gary and I disagree with a lot of things going on in society, a lot of things taught both by other religious people and politicians, and we disagree even on private levels about a lot of political things. But we don't have any interest in forbidding them or trying to use the government to stop them from saying what they want to say. I have no interest whatsoever in trying to get WPSL that are all the people that we disagree with off the air. Cancel them. I just want to be able to say what I, we think what, what we think is right. That's well, all I'm asking. I, I go back to the fact. Do you agree that, with that, Gary? Yeah, I go back to the point that we are not trying to force our beliefs on anyone. We would be happy to explain our beliefs to you, and should you decide to agree with us, that's fine. Should you decide to not agree, that's fine too. I'm not going to use external power to try to force you to. Here's that, two. That, yeah. Here's that's, two that's, other stories. I think that's the basis for it. <laughs> here's and, two other things in my stack. Just what you're saying here. Here's the headline. It's illegal to tell your gender-confused son he's a boy, but you can tell him he's a girl. This is Canada. This is now the law in Canada. You you can tell your son he's a girl. That'd be fine, but you can't tell him he's a boy. And you're gonna read the whole article. Canadian law bans so-called conversion therapy and a lot of other stuff like that. In other words, you can't say to your son, no, son, you're a boy and you need to act like a boy, not be a girl. Can't do that. But you can say, son, if you if you want to transition to be a girl, I'll help you do that. See, so that that's so the, when, that's where so you when are. Did we decide that the government has the authority to tell a parent. How to raise his child. When we vote for certain politicians all my lifetime who believe that the government has unlimited power and should always have unlimited power. This is the this is one thing, for example, that many people don't understand about some people's opposition to vaccine mandates and masks and stuff. It isn't they disagree with those things in particular. It's because the because of the issue of coercion that they disagree with them. I know that and that oh that's ridiculous. I know people don't want to hear that. But that's what it is, because once you once you give it, Gary, all my life I've been I've been called a libertarian before libertarian was being cool back in the early 70s. It's one thing to say this is a good idea. It's another to say, okay, let's have a law about it. Let's pass a law about it. I believe a lot of things are good ideas. I don't believe there should be a law about it one way or the other, because now you're looking at coercion. And I just know instinctively that when you start talking about coercion, secular governments do not coerce people to do the right things. Now, now here's another here's another angle on this you brought up. John MacArthur, this famous evangelical preacher. I think he's taken out of context here, but let's just read the headline since we're reading headlines today. John MacArthur calls religious freedom nonsense. He says we support the truth. Now, I understand what John MacArthur's saying, and he has a lot, a whole thing about this. He says religious freedom is what sends people to hell. To say I support religious freedom is to say I support idolatry, to say I support lies, I support hell, I support the kingdom of darkness. Um, so what he's saying is, no, you don't have a right to choose whatever religion and religious truth you want to believe and, and still be considered correct. That's what he's trying to say here. Well, and still they took to say he's not for religious freedom. He is for religious freedom, and over and I am too. But I am not going to say that just because you have a right to believe something that you are right in believing. You talking about mixing up words? We take the word right and right, and we confuse the two meanings. Well, don't they, we? Yeah, true. But basically, what we're doing here is 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 we're 
he's trying to leave God out of the equation in one way, and I think we shouldn't. You have you you have the right in this country to believe whatever you want, but whatever you want to believe may not be true. Well, that's what I'm saying. God, we're confusing God, those God two things. God determines the truth, so you can believe whatever you want. But that's what he's saying here. The fact that we have a right to believe something doesn't make it correct. So in that sense, he doesn't believe in religious freedom. The idea that, well, everybody has the right to believe whatever they want, and that makes them okay when they do it. See, we jump to this next level. That is, once once we give everybody the right to believe whatever they want, then we must back off and say, well, they're all okay. Everybody's okay. I'm okay. You're okay. Morally, what we're forgetting is God determines truth. Exactly. And there, you and is, I aren't. there is an absolute truth, and God has stated it for us. And basically... If you believe in God and you believe in the judgment and you believe that God is going to judge you justly by the standard of his word, which he says in the Bible, that's what he's going to do. He's going to judge you by the standard that he set down in his word that you can read and understand. Then basically it doesn't matter how you feel. You can feel one way or another. You can believe one way or another, but it, it's of no consequence in the judgment. It's going to matter what God does. Right. So it does matter what you believe. It does matter, matter what you teach other people. James says, do not many of you be teachers because you'll receive a greater judgment. That tells me that you and I, as teachers, bear a greater responsibility to tell the truth as best we can, not to tell people they can do whatever they want and not preach nonsense. So uh, you've got this whole problem of that. Well, Gary, uh, Gary, we've got to leave this rant and talk to somebody on the phone. Okay. Are you there, Jerry? What can I do for you? Mike, good morning, Gary. Uh, I was wondering about uh, Constantinople becoming Istanbul. All I really understand about it is that they're talking about Turkey, uh, Istanbul, Turkey. I just wonder about the political impact uh, as far as being the uh, center of Christianity. Constantinople was, at that time, the central of uh, uh, Christianity. I'd like to listen to all of them, okay, Mike? Okay, thank you very much. You, do you want, I didn't ask him if he wants me to sing the song. <laughs> Istanbul, not Constantinople. I don't know. Yeah, There's yeah. a song, you know. Ever heard that song, Gary? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, I don't know. I, I don't think I can sing all of it. Well, but I, I, I don't have the timeline in my mind. I know that it was uh, basically about the time that Rome was beginning to decay and basically the... Uh, Roman emperors or the emperors of the empire uh, moved into what they call Constantinople, I think named after Constantine. Yes. Uh, who was, I think he was an emperor sometime around 300, just, about 330, 300, three, early 300s. Early 300s yes. AD. Yes. Uh -huh. And I'm going to use AD. I hate that idea. Yeah, BCE. not BCE. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Basically, that was about 300. Now, after you go back to around uh, 11, 1200, you've got the establishment of, I believe it was called the uh, Ottoman Empire. Yes, it, it, that happened. Yeah, that happened. The, the, the final conquering and change from Constantinople to Istanbul happened in the early in the mid 1400s. Yeah, when the Turks finally conquered the city of Constantinople for good, more or less, at that time. And then it became Istanbul, the capital of the Ottoman Empire. And they, the Ottomans ruled the city for a long time. Um, but, but what we're talking about is there has always been a conflict between Islam and Christianity. Yeah, and Islam came into being in the 600s. Right. There's always been a conflict between Islam like and Christianity. And Islam, uh, if you go by their their scripture, basically the Quran and, and their writings, their religion is one that they can force you to uh, accommodate. You, yes. I, I, you know, they don't have any way of changing your mind, but they can't kill you over it. So uh, a lot of people, rather than die, will uh, go ahead and, and accept that religion. But there's been fighting back and forth uh, on that uh, for Mercy, Mike, must be around, let's say, 1,400 years now or more. Yes, a long time. It's been a continual conflict. So here's the, the background, Jerry, from the Bible standpoint. Um, 
the gospel was preached first, of course, to the Jews and in, in Judea, came out of the city of Jerusalem in Acts 2, and then it went to Judea and Samaria, northern after the dispersion that happened at the persecution of Stephen in Acts 8. Uh, it spread north into the northern part of Palestine more strongly and up into the, the Gentile cities of Antioch. And then from the church at Antioch, that, that church sent out men like Paul and Barnabas all across, beginning there. They went up into what we now call Turkey, where Istanbul is up in that area, and then on over into Greece and finally over to Rome. From there, it spread throughout the Roman Empire. We know the Ethiopian eunuch went down into Africa with the gospel, and so it spread through Africa. And by the end of the New Testament era, uh, well, let's let's put it this way: by the in the two two hundreds to three hundreds, five great cities be, uh, were in Christianity. Five great centers of Christianity were there. There was Jerusalem, Antioch. Rome, uh, Alexandria and Egypt, and Constantinople. Okay, and, and 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 there were these, and Rome and Constantinople battled it out for a few centuries as to who was going to be the most influential. Now, by that time, it was not really what we would call New Testament. No, it had already been come looked more like Roman Catholicism, a centralized government. They were battling over who was in control. Those two great cities. And they eventually, in 1064, split into the Eastern Orthodox Church in Constantinople and the Roman Catholic Church in Rome. You have these two big, and they, they're still split, okay? So you have these two, this right. great schism, it's called, and split into two pieces. And they're two separate entities in Christianity now. Uh, one, we, we tend to view Rome as the center only because they had more influence in Europe where also our ancestors came from in Africa. But Constantinople remained a very powerful group and still is today. But by the end of that period, just about all of the Mediterranean basin, including most of North Africa, Western Europe, uh, what is today Greece, and uh, what would be maybe Czechoslovakia and Hungary would be Christian at that point until... Uh, until Islam began to move out of the Middle East, right, and, and, into, and, and in, through Turkey, these things. Yes. And by the time that uh, we got to around probably a thousand or eleven hundred, there was almost no Christianity in uh, the Mediterranean basin on the African side, and it had moved into Spain. Right, and they were fighting the battles. Mm-hmm. They were fighting battles in France. Uh, Charles Martel actually stopped an Islamic army not too far from Paris, I think. That's right. how far they had gotten. Right. So this 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 conflict has been one of of real warfare. Right. Carnal warfare, not spiritual warfare. This is carnal and spiritual in, in Well that's nature. because the Roman Catholic Church had politicized everything early on and and they had made no separation between the politics and the church. Right. Now in the law in the big picture then there's these two groups. And so Eventually, Constantinople was overrun and became Istanbul, which is a Islamic name. And yet, it, the, yet the Eastern Orthodox Church remained powerful in its influence and kind of moved around. But that's the two great groups. They've never been able to reunite again. The Eastern Orthodox Church is somewhat different than the Roman Catholic Church. If you're an outsider looking at it, you'd think they look the same. You know, they both have a patriarch, the pope or a patriarch, you know, and all these kind of things. So they're sort of sort of the same. But that's the history of it. Very little of any of that, Jerry, has anything to do with New Testament Christianity. This is what you and this is what this show is trying to get past, that we get caught up in that kind of history and not in what the New Testament says the church ought to be. Neither one of those churches go back to the New Testament to find their root and what they ought to be doing, the Eastern or the Roman Catholic. Even up until now, the Reformation movement, which probably started around the time of Martin Luther, uh, doesn't do that either. No. Well, our time is gone today. I'm sorry we didn't get much more time to answer that, but we appreciate you listening. Hope that you'll tune in again next week to the show. Take a look at our website, 
wearejustchristians.com. You'll find lots of resources there, lots of recordings of this show and sermons. And then we, we invite you to uh, leave any kind of question there or, or, or uh, comments you might have. Come and visit us, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, at 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday nights. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie, on WPSL Port St. Lucie.